0: Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Ozkan of Amy Ever After.
1: Hi. Hi, Amy.
0: And I'm also here with Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. You guys are back from
2: CES, so
0: I feel like you're extra techie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or extra exhausted. Exactly.
0: Well, that's for sure. Um, Well, we're going to have sort of a, a, I guess it's tangentially a tech show, but this is not going to be a CES show. We had one up last week, obviously, that you should check out, and we'll be doing a follow-up show to CES um, next week. But in the meantime, we wanted to jump on something that sort of sprung up all over social media and went all over the parent pages of Facebook, I feel really fast, um, because it struck a nerve with parents and mom bloggers, and I guess, which is a lot of our circle. um, And it just resonated. And it's, is the question of, is it okay to be posting about your children? And then for mom bloggers and people and influencers, is it okay to be monetizing them? And today on the show, we have a very special guest who's been on before, but we're so happy to have her back. We have Michelle Ruiz, contributing writer to Vogue, joining us.
1: Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Mm-hmm. So glad to be back. Good.
2: So glad to have you back. Yes.
0: Um, you wrote a great article this week called The One Question Parents Should Ask Themselves Before Posting Their Kids on Social Media, and it's on Vogue.com, which we'll link to. But it was sparked by a <laughs> <an>, um, <laughs> Washington Post op-ed that was posted early this month. And then I think it was a Slate.com article that followed up on it. Um, so it's really, it's really hit a nerve. Can you talk about it a little bit?
1: Yeah. So it's really definitely hit a nerve and it's become one of those, you know, social media hot topics that people, like you said, Rebecca, are posting about it. The gist of it is that Christy Tate, who is the author of a mom blog called Outlaw Mama, she did this, wrote this Washington Post op ed about buying her fourth grader, her daughter's in fourth grade, buying her a laptop. Her daughter, at that point, Googling her mom and discovering this vast archive of photos and essays and posts about her from about herself from babyhood on. So, you know, everything from her sleeping habits to one of her best friends just abruptly stopping to talk to her and all these personal details of her life. And her daughter then, you know, kind of demanded to know why all of these pictures and details about her were up on the internet and asked her mom if they could be taken down. And I think this is kind of where a lot of the controversy comes in. Christy Tate at that point said that that was not possible and that she wasn't done exploring motherhood in her writing and she wanted to keep it up. And I think it just, the whole thing just sort of sparked a conversation that should be logical, right? That these kids would grow up someday and then have a say about their lives being shared online, but now that's actually happening and like the moment of reckoning so to speak has come and 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 then here goes the debate about, you know, how much to share, what to share. Um, what to share when they're little versus when they're older, and so forth.
0: It's a huge um, discussion because I think mom bloggers starting, you know, maybe 10 years ago sharing all of these things um, opened the door for non blogging parents to do the same <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, you know, it sort of made totally. it a thing you did online. Um, and then Facebook accelerated that to such a degree. And then Instagram, I, I think, added like gasoline to the fire. Um, because Instagram became a money pit. Um, and it became, I actually was talking to a very, very high profile mom blogger slash Instagrammer yesterday who said, I am not in any of my pictures. Like I just started putting myself in pictures. Her daughters are like nine and seven maybe because she realized she can't keep using her kids. So Mm. she better make herself more of a focus, but it's really hard to realize you've built this business around your children, and it might even support your family. Um, And now what are you supposed to do when they don't want to participate?
1: Yeah, so I think it it draws that into focus, right? Where when your kids are babies and they're toddlers, and even when they're, you know, in the earlier ages, like lower elementary school, they sort of don't know or don't care that they're, that their mom is taking a million pictures of them or they're, you know, not aware that you're writing about them, whether it's an Instagram caption or if you're a mom blogger, that it's this expansive post and maybe it's a sponsored post by like, um, pistachio nuts for which you're going on a, you know, or it's, or it's sponsored by like the Hyatt and you're on an amazing trip. They're kind of not aware of that. And I think when they become aware of it, they start to see their role in it. And, and I'm assuming you guys, you know, having older kids can speak to this more, but it's like, then they start to think, well, I also have an Instagram. I, or, I also have a Facebook page, and what I'm posting does not jive with what you're posting. And, you know, as Rebecca said, you're trying to tell me not to overshare, but you've been oversharing about me for the last 10 years.
0: (laughs) I think that is the hardest thing for (laughs) parents to put that genie back in the bottle and be like, I hate how much my daughter's online and posting this and that. I'm like, really?
2: (laughs) So in their defense, I just want to play devil's advocate here for a second, because I think that for a mom blogger, and of course it is oversharing, but... I believe the whole point was that they were looking at this as a way to um, grow a following and make money and have a business. So I don't think that when they started it, they actually thought they were oversharing. However, fast forward 10 years. And I think now people are looking back and saying, oh my God, I've put my kids' whole life up here. Um, You know, exactly. How do you take that back? How do you put that genie back in the bottle?
3: Well, whether you're you're doing it as a business or not, it's still oversharing. And the problem that I ran into was I also was doing sponsored posts and things like that with my kids. My blog was never really about my kids, but so many of the opportunities that came my way as a blogger, they wanted to, to include my, my children. And... They were innocuous. It was cooking segments and things like that. And I didn't really think much about it because since it wasn't about my kids' personal lives, I thought it was harmless. And what I didn't anticipate was when they both hit middle school, it's not that they didn't want personal stuff on my blog or on my social channels. They didn't want anything about them on those channels. I mean, Mm. not cooking stuff, not, you know, pictures of them uh, if we're on a vacation that's paid for. I remember once my my son kind of in a panic yelling to me from another room every YouTube video that he wanted me to take down in like a race with his friends who were Googling him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was like literally trying to get them down before his friends could find them and download them for all posterity.
0: Yeah, that's the hard part. And, you know, and I have to say also, I mean, Amy and I both started out in mom blogging before it was called mom blogging, when we were like a bunch of women blogging, (laughs) which sounds crazy now, Um, but was easily 10 years ago, probably more, maybe 11 or 12. Um, And nobody was doing it for sponsored posts. Like, that didn't even exist. It was actually about trying to share these experiences And tapping into this idea of moms not being alone and, you know, and just sharing these experiences and kids were so little, it didn't matter. But it's, it sounds like impossible for people to understand now that there used to not be 3000 articles about potty training. You know, there used to not be 6000 articles about how to deal with the terrible twos. It was us. Yeah, (laughs) writing articles and starting that. um, And then it became, it evolved into mom blogging and the brands took notice and the mom, you know, and the brands came looking for sponsorship and things like that. But I think there is a big separation, and I really do believe this, between the bloggers who started out as writers really writing about these experiences and having very few pictures of their kids, because you know what, if you had pictures, it took forever. People, people couldn't load your site. Um, and, and then there's a big shift towards Instagram, I think. And when it became all about presenting your kids as product um, and presenting your kids stories and like having them look perfect and cute and perf you know, like brand happy, um, that there was this big shift.
1: And I think that's part of the tricky part of it because, You know, I know you said Rebecca too in the article, because I interviewed Rebecca for the article, and she said that, you know, people, a lot of people stop posting personal things about their kids, maybe around age nine or so, because that's when they start, the kids start to feel kind of uncomfortable about it. And then it leads to kind of a lack of honest sharing about what's going on in parenting at that time, and it leads to a kind of lonely feeling. And I think then for me with little kids that can be really kind of trying and stuff, we sometimes people want to post a picture of their kid having a tantrum or a picture of their kid you know in the bath like splashing around and splashing them or having a meltdown or whatever it is because they want to show that it's not always perfect and rosy and not everyone is always well dressed and happy but then sometimes that those very same things are the things that are going to embarrass them potentially in 10 years so it's sort of like Am I am I representing this experience honestly and trying to have a sense of community and solidarity? But then are my kids going to hate me in, in 10 years or five years when they come to and see all of these very personal, imperfect moments about their lives splashed on the internet?
0: I know you brought up a really good point in the article about Instagram stories, which I, when I was talking to my friend yesterday, she was saying it's been the best thing because it actually for those people who do monetize their their brand and their channel, that because Instagram stories disappear, (laughs) um, it's like the perfect thing to do because you don't feel that same pressure about your kid, you know, finding this later or being mortified later. Um, It disappears. And the brands actually love them because the engagement on them is incredibly high. People are looking less and less at their feeds. Um, and more and more at stories, so maybe that'll save everybody.
2: <laughs> you know, you bring you bring up you bring up Instagram, and uh, you know, I think this whole thing isn't just bloggers because oh no, there are people on Instagram. First of all, people who said, "Oh, I would never share pictures of my kids," and then all of a sudden, bing, they have a baby. All of a sudden, two years later, it's like every picture on Instagram is just an untitled picture of their kid. I mean, there's one writer who I follow who. I don't think her or her husband have ever been in one picture. It's all her kid. And that kid's like four years old. So what's going to happen 10 years from now? Those are all, even though they weren't monetized and it wasn't a blog and it wasn't personal, there's just a ton of pictures out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad saying this, but I'll just say it. I think
1: I do when I go to someone's grid of photos and it's only pictures of their kid. I'm kind of like, I don't know, show me something else. <laughs> show me like a picture of you and your vacation, or even of just you and your husband or your uh, trip. I don't know, like there's something I think, but something about it is so immediate and just almost routine where, you know, I think so, to a extent now people just, there are people I know who every single day pose just instinctively post photos of their kids. And Part of me, you know, and I referenced this in the piece briefly, is I'm like, sometimes only grandma wants to see all (laughs) of these photos of your kid. And you have to sort of just know the line, because even if you're not, like you said, a mom blogger or an influencer, you know, if we're all, every single one of us in the business of posting our kids nonstop yes, that might embarrass them later, and they might feel exposed later. And it's also just kind of like, boring.
0: Yeah, I think it's boring for the kids. I mean, I honestly think that's part of the backlash. Um, you know, I, I think we've told the story before, my friend who's a food blogger, at one point, her kids just started covering their food. <laughs> they were so sick of her taking pictures of their food. They were like, you know, I just want to eat it. Um, and I, I think Maybe it's good because we've all been so scared of kids, you know, with their lack of privacy and sending nudes. And, you know, I had this talk before, like, you you can't tell your kid not to share all that stuff when you've been sharing them. But maybe kids are just tired of it. You know, maybe we're going to wear the kids out to the point where they become the generation that really doesn't want to share, that they just lurk and there'll be a few (laughs) of them that share, but they don't want to share every single moment. I don't know. Maybe that'll be an upside.
2: Maybe. Yeah. But, you know, go back to your question, Rebecca. I mean, how do you tell your kids not to overshare? <laughs> I don't know. I don't it know how people, you can,
1: especially <laughs> if you yourself are doing it or have a history of doing it, right? I mean, then you're not practicing what you preach.
2: It's I'm- like saying no devices or you can't stand your devices all day and then you're looking at your devices at dinner time. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think it's hard because. Especially for people that have little kids, like a lot of my friends have two year olds, five year olds, and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the response to the article was like, well, of course these kids are going to get older. And, you know, Rebecca said it very wisely we all knew this was going to happen one day, that the kids of this generation of mom bloggers was going to grow up and realize it. But everything feels so immediate and we're so stuck in the day to day that I think. Honestly, people do forget that one day that Mm two-year-old soon is going to be a nine-year-old and is going to say, hey, get that picture of me off.
0: What I think is crazy is that she wouldn't take it down. I actually have to say I think that's crazy because forget if you're a blogger. If your child sees your Facebook or sees your Instagram when they're eight or nine and says to you, why did you post that? Take it down. (gasps) Just totally take it down, like because at a certain point, who owns that image, right? Like, I mean, the mom, the mom or the dad owns it technically, but it's of them. It does seem, and that seems even worse to me to say no to a child because you're telling the child that they're your content. I think one of the commenters said that in that article too. Like, her kid's
3: not her content mill. Like, get a dog, you know. <laughs> like, well, but, um, somebody remind me how much of this is about business. Was her blog monetized? That's not really clear to me. I it, Nowhere did it say so. She didn't say so
1: in the op-ed. Um, I would say no slash unclear. Okay, because I just... I have a feeling it is.
0: I have a feeling she's built a big, pretty
1: big standing over the years. Yeah, or maybe it just is, and that just goes without saying at this point. I, yeah, I
3: don't know. because I do wonder how much that plays into it. I mean, you know, Rebecca and I have so many friends whose blogs are a family business and it's not, it's not necessarily so easy as, okay, I'll just take it all down. There may be contracts involved. Um, you know, it takes, it's, it's, I have to say, I'm not defending her necessarily, but it is really, really difficult when you're signing these contracts to think ahead five, 10 years to who your child is going to be. Right, So I will, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, the other thing I thought about because I always think these things have a tinge of misogyny, <laughs> um, you know, the fact that they come down on mom bloggers about this. Comedians have been using their families as material forever. Like when di- when Jerry Seinfeld talks about his kids, or Louis C.K., for that matter, or anyone... Like, it's hilarious. Everyone thinks it's hilarious. It's horror. Like, if you really think about it, it's it's never flattering. Right? I was... And they're talking about their kids. I
3: was watching a comedian um, a few weeks ago. I think it was on the Colbert Report. And by the time the comedians are on, it's like 20 after midnight. And I'm thinking oh my God, I hope this guy's kid never has access. His entire routine was about what a loser his son was. Right.
0: So that's my point. And no one seems to have that same attack. And that will live on on YouTube, right? That clip. Yeah. Um, and authors have certainly been milling their child's lives. You know, I mean, that's happened. And I think this is just maybe a new variation on it. And people get especially crazy about it because it happens to be mom bloggers, Um. And that becomes like a, I don't know, becomes a buzzword for everything horrible (laughs) in so many ways. But, um, but I think it does still tie in my mind to that greater issue of privacy and what we're choosing, what we choose to share, and then what we are teaching our kids. And I think that's, that's why it's hard.
3: The other thing to consider though, um, and and this is the part about her story that, that kind of hit home with me because I did go through this in a, in a bigger way with my daughter, um, (sighs) My first blog was about, it was called Selfish Mom, and it was kind of about not disappearing into motherhood. Uh, My tagline was, um, we're all in this together, but I was here first. And when my daughter basically told me not to post anything about her, like just basically act like she doesn't exist, um, my answer to her was, I will not tell your personal stories, But there are stories about motherhood that I want to tell and like you will be a very small vague part of it But you can't just prevent me from telling my stories So you have to find that balance and the kids also have to understand that you're a person
1: Yeah, and I want to think that there's a way to do it, you know as I was reading christy tates I I see what you're saying amy because I think as writers all of us writing Sometimes you write personal stories or a lot of times you write personal stories and I never want to throw other people under the bus, you know, like I've written stories that involve my mom and my husband and my kids. And and usually I, I'm talking more about myself than I am about them and I'm not revealing or betraying them. But I get you know, what Christy Tate was saying in the sense, and what you're saying too, where it's like, you're writing about your experience. Sometimes you might get wrapped up into that a little bit, and I won't, you know, embarrass you or reveal your personal, reveal your secrets, but I think as writers, if you do sort of then get into this sticky place where it's like, if I'm going to tell this story, how do I make it mo- mainly about me, but kind of about you and our relationship, and it, it kind of like raises the larger question of, as writers or, you know, people who are artists, novelists, comedians, using other people in their work? You know, how do we do that in a way that is tactful and respectful without quitting?
0: Exactly. That's so hard, right? I mean, it's like writing 101, right, is write what you know. And if you're a mom going through, especially the first time, (laughs) Um, And trying to figure out what's going on with your kid and share that experience. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is other than to try to do it respectfully Um, or take it down later. I mean, if it's not something, I mean, most contracts are not for life. You know, if you wrote something when your kid was three and it's embarrassing as hell to them, like, take it down.
2: That's what I don't understand. I mean, why not take it down? Yeah. It, it makes no sense to me.
3: Well, it's also extra work, and I do think that if, if the child wants to taken down, it should be taken down as long as you're not violating any contracts. But it's not as easy as taking it down. Then you have to find everything that linked to it and change that link. And it, it's eh, only you do that, Amy. No, any <laughs> anybody who cares about their SEO does that. So it's not it's not as easy as just take it down. I'm not saying that the kids' wishes shouldn't be um respected but i don't know i think we're talking very cavalierly about things that people take years and years to create so i'm again i'm not defending this woman i thought that well you know what on the other hand the more i read about her she she did give her daughter then veto power over anything she posted about her that's a big deal um i do think that she, was that moving forward moving yeah. forward yeah, yeah. That's key. Um, so I think that that they're probably in a place now where what she doing se- what she's doing seems really respectful. It's the stuff that's still up that is still causing the problem. But I do think that people reacted to her in a way that somebody who doesn't do this for a living just wouldn't understand. Yeah.
0: I mean, I thought Michelle, I thought that was what was interesting about your articles. You did, you didn't linger on the facts so much about mom bloggers. It really was about all of us. Like how is our everyday regular people sharing and oversharing about their kids in a way that would mortify them?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it just raises, again, it should be something that is logical and makes sense. They'll get bigger. They will become aware of what your posts say. They'll learn to read and get social media accounts. But I think it did give me a moment's pause. And and people, you know, friends are commenting on it. I shared it, of course, just to be meta. I had to put it on social media, (laughs) and everyone was like, "Yeah, this is making me think." You know, silly as it is, I don't think people in 2019 posting about their 18 month olds, frankly, are thinking about how they're going to feel about it later. And maybe this kind of kerfuffle is going to make people think a little more deeply about how their kids will feel later on.
0: Well, I hope so. I hope it's like the next evolution of all of this. Um, And thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's a really great article. We'll link to it, and it's a lot to think about. I mean, hopefully, we'll get a response on our Facebook page because it did stir a lot of things. And. I will say as someone who has a lot of mom bloggers in her friend space, it was interesting to see who didn't comment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having
0: me. Thanks, Michelle. As always guys. Bye. 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 We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what do you
3: have? Okay. So this is an article that I read last week in Politico and I don't know how you pronounce her name. Jackie Spire, Jackie Spare. Um, I've, seen her on TV. She's a politician. And I I had no idea that she was involved in any of this. But the article is called Surviving Jonestown. And it's about how she almost died in the Jonestown massacre. Oh, my God. It is riveting. She was very young. She was working for a congressman who went uh, at the behest of some family members um, of some of the people who were living in Guyana with, with uh, what's his name, the guy who was, you know, the Jonestown, Jim Jones, um, who was living with Jim's, Jim Jones, and, you know, trying to find out if their family members were okay. And um, so she traveled there with him. And this is the story of what happened in their couple of days there. And it was, it's an amazing story. And I had, I had just like the most basic knowledge of Jonestown. Like, you know, I've, I've used the term drinking the Kool-Aid without really knowing what it means. And if you read the article, you'll probably never use that term again. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really, really good read. So we'll link to that surviving Jonestown on Politico. Crazy.
2: All right, Andrea. And actually I read it and it's fabulous. I remember being at ABC reporting on it when it happened and, um, it, it was, uh, quite the story. Ugh. So yeah, I do recommend the article. All right. Well, I'm digging into my CES bag because there were so many things at CES and and last week's show you have to listen to, or maybe it was this week. I don't know. Amy and I put together a show of all the cool stuff we saw and um, we're going to have another one. But until then... Uh, one of my favorite companies, Anchor A-N-K-E-R, they are very well known for those adorable little portable um, external batteries that you take with you. And yep. they have a new, um, I don't know how new it is, but a division called Soundcore, that's Bluetooth wireless speakers. And I have to say, you know, I've been looking at AirPods for a while. They're really expensive, and I think they look stupid. <laughs> <And I'm> just. <laughs> You know, but I do have an iPhone without a headphone jack, and I'm, I'm more and more wanting, you know, those truly wireless earbuds. And Anchor at the show had uh, – they're called Liberty Air, and they are totally wireless earphones. They look like AirPods, only they're black, so that's like total cool factor, you know, times 10 for me, which maybe now it seems a little less uh, – I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. Anyway, I got a pair, um, and I'm thinking – You know, this might be really cool for me for phone calls, you know, for a way to be on calls, not having to be tied to the phone or not having to have crappy quality. Uh, And same for music when I'm at the gym. I don't know if it's going to be amazing, you know, awesome, deep bass sounding music, but really convenient. They come in this little carrying case. The case itself is chargeable. Um, They're Bluetooth 5, so the range is pretty good. And they're all of $80. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I they're like they're them. Shivering. They're water resistant. Um so I'll start calling you on them and we'll see how they sound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the idea of like Andreas CES bag that she's pulling things. I like this like idea that you have like a Mary Poppins like one of those carpet bags you just keep pulling out like giant like the, like, the rollable the TV that rolled and all the weird, oh my god the, the that giant was the awesome. toilet like all the things that were CES come out of Andreas CES
2: bag. <laughs> everything that I stuffed in my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: yet all the water bottles, all the water you can uh. feel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, My Bite is uh, was the cover story of New York Magazine a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw it. I, I, it was so fascinating. I, I don't even know where to begin. It's called Listening to Estrogen, hmm. Psychosis in Your 40s. And it's the story on how women are developing schizophrenia in their 40s as they approach menopause as their estrogen plummets, and that this has been going on forever. And if you think about all the women in history who were diagnosed or they were called hysterical or having (laughs) nervous breakdowns and were hospitalized, usually in midlife... Um, And it was always blamed that because women didn't feel useful anymore because they weren't reproducing anymore or, you know, they couldn't handle being empty nesters, whatever the horrible things were they were coming up with for why this was happening. And diagnosticians decided you can't get schizophrenia after the age of 24. Mm -hmm. They never even looked at it this way. And all of these female doctors now um, and endocrinologists and experts are like, this is absolutely a byproduct of this drop in estrogen, why this is happening, and why it happens to women so much later, because their theory is that the estrogen actually protects women from developing the full blown schizophrenia in their 20s, which is why it's so much more male heavy. Um, so they're doing all of this, not enough, research into all this. But my favorite quote from the article is from a reproductive psychiatrist who was at Cornell, who just left a freestanding center. Um, she founded a freestanding center in New York for postpartum and perinatal mental illness, and she said, "If men can't get an erection, it's a natural disaster." But very little is studied in women because of our reproductive capacity and patriarchy. We need to understand women better. Middle-aged women are, yeah, she said, middle-aged women are low priority, like children used to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but the article is incredible because it basically says nobody even knows why schizophrenia starts. Like they have all these theories. So the fact that they don't even know why, um, but the fact that there's people have like severe, you know, premenstrual dys- dysphoria, whatever they call it, like where it's beyond your regular PMS. Like all these things that have happened that women have be- basically been dismissed as crazy all these years. Um, it's, it's all biologically based. <laughs> <laughs> So finally, they're starting to pay attention to this um, and do research and study this and realize how much more important it is, um, you know, about hormones and what's going on. It's just fascinating. It'll make you super angry about the lack of any research and funding into anything having to do with women. Um, it's, It's startling, actually. Um, and it's a really good article. Like, it's really well written for a scientific article. Like, really, really good. Um, so I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. And that's it. it. Might scare the shit out of you too. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you
3: might be like, what?
0: Um, but it's really good. So that is my bite for today. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Uh, we you can find everything we talked about today on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash parenting And on parentingbites.com we will have links to everything we talked about. Download, share, rate our podcast. We'd love to hear from you guys on our Facebook page. Please comment. Let us know if you share way too much about your kids. <laughs> um, and until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye.